I'm going to ask you to um, take a moment and be seated. Spend a moment. Um, I, I, I feel led today. If I, if I did not, I wouldn't be up here. And um, this past week we had the Mississippi Baptist Convention. And I shared with you last Sunday that I felt that God was leading me into making a motion that our convention, which is the largest evangelical Protestant denomination in the world, would consider the impact of our state flag on our ability to do evangelism, to carry out the Great Commission. In fact, was our state flag possibly hurting the African-American community? And did we need to do something? Now, last week... um, For many of you, you're not aware, but um, a lot of times on any given Sunday, I'm hit. And last Sunday, from the moment I drove up on this campus, I was being hit over and over again. So by the time I got up here to say what I said about the convention, I I said it perhaps in a spirit that some of you found was offensive, and for that I apologize. Um, But God knows my heart, and He knows even when I'm tired and I may be saying things that just simply are not coming out the way they ought to. Um, But I do apologize for that. I'm not dismissing it. This past Tuesday, when our denomination, Mississippi Baptist, met, in the afternoon business session, I made this motion, and I'm going to read the motion, and then I'm going to read to you what I said, because I think it is important. I want you to hear me, and I especially want African American to hear me. I believe that after the death of Martin Luther King Jr., that the civil rights movement was hijacked. I think it, it literally was hijacked. I, I think had Martin Luther King Jr. Die, had not died, had he lived on, perhaps things may have been differently. So I think that in our day, that the church, one of our priorities, is to lead this nation toward healing, but also toward loving. Now, when I made this motion, I made, and I've, I've been praying about this for a long time. I heard my wife make this statement yesterday. She made this statement to a member of this church. She said, I've known this man a long time. I love him and I trust him. If God tells him to do something, I'm not going to get in the way of it. I read this motion. I said, I would like to make a motion that the Mississippi Baptist Convention of 2014 prayerfully consider the issue of our Mississippi state flag and its hindrance to the Great Commission, and more so the hurt to our African-American brothers and sisters in Christ. I further move that we go on record as making a statement as to our concern over the division created by our flag, and that we ask our denominational leaders, pastors, and laity to encourage our political leaders to consider a flag more symbolic of our future rather than a reminder of our past. And once I did that, I said, Mr. Chairman, I wish to speak to the motion. Now, let me say this. I handled myself in a very Christ-like way. And uh, then, I, then I read this. If you're not used to parliamentary procedure, it may sound strange to you, but this is what I read. I come to you as a former... Now, let me say this. I'm doing this because you sent me as a messenger. You need to know your messenger and what he did. 
I come to you as a former IMB, International Mission Board missionary to Zimbabwe, Africa, and Cornwall, England. I am a former United States Army chaplain and for the last nearly 18 years the pastor of Southside Baptist Church here in the city of Jackson. In these nearly 18 years, we've crawled under bridges. We've gone through the streets and alleys of this city with the gospel. We have seen gang members broken and weeping at the altar. We average serving four meals a week to the community. We have walked the halls of our city schools, many of which are discouraged and hurting with a deep burden to pray. Yet with all our efforts, there remains a barrier, a stumbling block to the gospel, the Confederate emblem contained within our flag, our state flag. Think with me. If our state flag contains a symbol of one of the darkest times in our nation's history and hurts our brothers and sisters in Christ, as well as hindering the gospel, then should not that emblem be changed? like Bonhoeffer or William Wilberforce or Martin Luther King Jr., is it not the task of the church to lead a government to remove an appendage that might be celebrating hatred rather than love? In South Jackson, on the corner of two major thoroughfares, resides a man who has erected a flagpole on which he flies a Confederate flag. Children in that neighborhood in South Jackson are told to stay away from his property. He communicates by way of that flag his heart and his hatred for black men and women. And yet these same elementary age children go across the street and into a school where that same symbol flies above the entrance of their school. Some of you may say that it's merely a symbol, an historic icon, but this would be the equivalent of asking a Jewish child to enter a school with a swat stick, a symbol of the Holocaust and Nazism, waving over the entrance. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 8.13, Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother to fall into sin... I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause him to fall. And you may say, let me interrupt, you may say, well, this doesn't cause him to sin. If it breeds hatred, my friend, we are causing our brother to sin. Paul reminded us and those in Corinth that if something even as small as the food I eat offends my brother, causes my brother to stumble or hurts him, then I should seek to remove that behavior or offense from my life. Paul further states, I have become all things to all men, so that by all possible means I might save some. Southern Baptists have, in the area of civil rights, often been too little, too late, and have on more than one occasion had to apologize for our hesitancy to get involved in civil rights. In South Africa, after apartheid was dismantled, the country demonstrated to the world a new beginning by creating a new flag. They set aside a painful reminder of their past, that is apartheid, and they chose a symbol for the future. When this nation broke away from England, we too did so by enlisting 
Betsy Ross to bring together a symbol of our future rather than our past. With all our efforts to introduce the loss to the Prince of Peace, this city, this state, and as recently seen in Ferguson, Missouri, this nation is still racially divided. A step toward healing may lie within the hands of this convention to go on record setting in place a motion to remove a painful reminder of our our past and replace it with a symbol of our future. A move which would reverberate around this city, across this state, throughout this nation, and I believe in the end around the world. At this point, the convention stopped me, the president of the convention. I got two minutes to to debate the motion. They gave five minutes for a man to make a recommendation for the president who was taking his second term, and they gave the person who spoke three minutes. I only got two, so they stopped me here. Let me finish it. This is what I would have continued to say. Yesterday, my daughter called me. She is a dentist in Tupelo and married to a preacher. As we spoke of this motion, I just read to you a moment ago, I heard once again the concern for her own daughter, an orphan from Uganda, adopted and brought here. And anyone who knows my granddaughter Eden, she is black. My daughter Amy said this, she said, Dad, I daily fear the racism that Eden, my daughter, may face as she grows up. And for the sake of my daughter, it is time to change our flag. My response to her was, Amy, I may not live to see it, but I pray that one day our world may be different. And may she know that her pawpaw stood in this convention for what is right and honorable before God. Mississippi Baptist, we cannot, we must not table this. To do so by the largest evangelical Protestant denomination in the world will speak volumes. We can today take a decisive step toward racial reconciliation and may further equip the church to bring about not only healing in our nation, but a great moral and spiritual awakening. Can I ask you, is it the role of government or other entities to remove the relics of hatred, or is it the role of the church? Will this cost pastors and laity? Most assuredly. But were we not challenged, and I went on to allude to the first message, where in the pastor's conference, a preacher talked about being warriors, He said that a warrior is defined as one who fights when the odds are against him. He said a warrior is one who fights when no one else will. He said a warrior is one who fights out of love rather than a command. I said, I have shared with the congregation I pastor my intent today and the understanding that if they do not agree, they are free to take action to remove me. They are a precious congregation. And I believe, agree, and will stand with me this day. Some may come behind me, because I, if they debated me, which there was no debate after the motion was made and after I smoke, spoke. Some may come behind me and say this is merely a cultural emblem. 
but by the children, youth, and adults to whom I minister to. It is a painful reminder of the past. Some may come behind me to argue that this is a political matter. My friend, we have one of the largest lobbying groups in Washington, as well as here in our own state. We often use our influence at the denominational level to sway the political process. This is not a political issue. This is a moral issue. Thirteen years ago, I preached the convention sermon, 2001. In that message, I warned the messengers with fear and trembling of the great cost to the city of Jackson if we continued to move in the direction that we were moving, selling out our assets, ripping out our witnesses, out of communities. I never meant to hurt this, this convention or those who lead it. Perhaps some of my sermon was the result of my own hurt and sense of being abandoned, and for that I apologize. I was even willing to make some uh, conciliatory effort toward the convention in that point. And I went on to say our love, I went on, or wanted to go on and say, I, went, I love our executive director in this convention. Finally, let me in. Today I come to you begging that this convention prayerfully consider our role in this issue. I love each of you, but I also believe like Esther that we stand at a critical juncture. A denomination that like a little Jewish girl can make a difference. One who can influence the political process on behalf of every African American child growing up in this state. Remember, Esther stood for a race of people that could not stand for themselves. Mordecai's words to Esther, who's to say that God has not called us for such a time as this? That was the motion. That is what I would have done had I had an opportunity to speak to it. The vote was taken by ballot. I, Cameron, Alan Tisdale were sitting on a pew. On the other end of that pew was a white couple in their 40s. We did a ballot vote. When I, got, when I went up to speak and to debate, the couple who were seated near the microphone turned their back to me and the woman put a newspaper in front of her face and they glared at Cameron, who's African American, one of our staff. They glared at Cameron the entire time I spoke. Now that may not bother you, but in a convention of the largest evangelical denomination in the world, when messengers behave that way, we've got a heart problem. And we'll have a heart problem as long as everybody's silent about it. As my prophets a lot of times would stand on Mount Carmel, Kadesh Barnea, Joshua, Elijah, John the Baptist, or Jordan. I didn't, I didn't know all that had happened. When the ballot vote was cast, they were to hold the ballot on the end of the pew. They, got, they handed their ballot down to Cameron and I and Alan. They left their ballot open. They didn't fold it. And they put no double underlined to make sure they can. I didn't know it. I still didn't know it. Thank God I didn't know it. We got to the parking lot 
And these two people walked by continuing to glare now at all three of us. And it was only as they got in their vehicle and they began to drive away that Cameron and Alan began to share with me what they had experienced in our denomination. America will never have healing in the race issue until the reconciliation is done through men of God, through the spirit-empowered bride of Christ, His church, and is unapologetically dealt with in an attempt to find peace. That's the only way. When Martin Luther King Jr. died, civil rights was hijacked, and it's been hijacked ever since. And I believe that God is tired of it, I believe God wants healing racially, not only in this city, not only in the body. of Some have said that the most segregated part of the week is 11 to 12 or the time that we're worshiping. In our convention, there were maybe three or four African American in the entire convention. So today I stand before you and I'm, uh, I'm not apologizing. I did what I understand to be the, be the perfect will of God. I did that after years of praying and seeking the leadership of the Lord. Very profound things that happened to me to lead me to that point. And, and I'm like Martin Luther. This is where I stand. I can do no other. Um, I love you. I think that God can do something great through this. And I think once we begin to have honest dialogue guided by the Holy Spirit through the body of believers, it is then and only then will we have peace. If not, and we're being, this will be on the website, if not, I want every one of you to look this way. America will continue to be divided and she sits on the brink of a greater than what she's experiencing now. God wants healing, but that healing comes through honesty and openness and the willingness of his people to say, God, I have a problem. My heart's not right. An entire denomination may have to do that. God, our hearts are not right yet. They need to be. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray. I'm going to let Ledge introduce this one who's come today, and uh, then we're going to close. Okay. In fact, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to, instead of me praying, I'm going to ask an African-American staff member and a man that I would trust with the leadership. If I die, I want my wife and my children and my grandchildren to sit under this man's pastoral leadership. I trust him fully. He is deeply a man of God. He models that. And it doesn't matter that we are different colors. I love you, brother. And I'm going to ask you to come pray for me, pray for our convention, your going to school, about to graduate with a master's degree from New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. You're a part of a multiracial church, multiracial staff. You know the heart of this pastor. I want to ask you to come and pray for us. And let's cut this mic on because I want to make sure that uh, this is on our website as well. And then Ledge, you come, speak. Cameron, wherever Cameron is. Did Cameron leave? Are you? Oh, okay, there he is. Okay, Cameron, you come and then close us out. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, 
God, we um, stand before you, God, as a, as a people, God, who want to seek your word, seek your way and your will. But God, along the way, God, we, we experience, um, God, we know that we are people who are filled with sin. And God, because of, these, because of this nature, God, we've been inclined to do things, God, that are against um, what, what your scripture teaches, God, against your, your very attributes, God. God, um, we live in a world, God, where not only do we, we, um, we sin, God, but then we do it in very, very obvious and very fervent ways, God. God we, not only, God, we not only profess to hate things that are good, God, but we also profess to hate other people, God, who don't look like us, who don't worship like us, who don't carry this, who, God, who, who don't share this, all of the same values that we do, God. And God, we know that some of these things are sin, God, but then, God, some of these things have gone on to, to cause rifts, God, um, in the way we, in who we worship with, God, in the way we live our lives, where we live, how we act toward each other, and God is called, and it's causing hatred, God. It causes a rift, God, and it saddens you. God, I pray, God, that you would just continue to bring healing to us, God. Let us be a part of what Corinthians call the ministry of reconciliation, God. Let us reconcile ourselves to you, God. Let us understand, God, that you want us to be loving, gracious, merciful people, God, who love you and follow you with all our heart. God, we thank you, God, for our pastor, God, and how he's decided, God, to, to take up this cause, God. And, and God, I pray, God, that you would just, God, that you would just continue to give him godly wisdom, God. And even, if, even for those of us, God, who may not quite understand, God, God, I pray that you would help us to, to find passion, God, that you would help us to, to seek you fervently, God, and to stand and be, and be supportive, God, of, of the things, God, of God. Because there are times, God, where we know that there are, the only things can, can change if the church is involved, God. Um, we, are, we are the vehicle in which you've chosen to, um, to share the gospel with the world, God, and God, we need to act like it. God, we pray for this leadership of this church, God, that even God in our in our um, multi-ethnic makeup, God, that you would continue to help us to understand each other, that we would love each other fervently, God, and that we would seek the one thing we have in common, and that is you and the gospel that has called us to be, to be men and women of God. God, I also pray, God, that you would um, bless everyone in these pews, God, that if there is any hurt, any pain, any suffering, God, that they have received because of, because of any difference in who they are, God, that that would be, be healed, God. God, we pray that the men and women who have come against them, God, that they would go to them, God, and that they would begin to reconcile those differences, God, and begin to, and begin to make amends. And, God, we know that, God, that we're not perfect people, God. So I pray, God, that we would all ask for forgiveness, God. If we've wronged anyone, God, for any reason, God, whether it be any, any makeup, God, whether it's how much we make, how we look, what we've done, which is not agreeable with our lives, I mean, with who we are, God, I pray that we would, I pray that we would ask for forgiveness, God, for treating people that way. But, God, we're so thankful, God. We're so thankful that in Corinthians you, t- you, t- you say, thanks be to God for the indescribable gift of grace, God. That even though we fall short, God, you're forgiving. Let us be that same forgiving. God, give our, give our leadership strength, give our pastor strength, and give our church body strength, and God, give strength to those who evangelize and share the gospel with any man and any woman, God, who wants to seek to know you. And God, we pray that all the things that we do, God, that they be motivated not for any political cause, not for any need, God, outside of fulfilling the will and the will of, the Lord, of you, Lord, and the scriptures. And God, we're thankful that we have this time to serve you, love you, and we thank you for your indescribable gift of grace and for Jesus who died so that we would have this chance to serve you. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to continue to record, and you can go ahead and stand. And Led, you come here.
uh, because when I went to sit down by my wife, I felt like the Lord wanted me to say two things. Number one, the vote on the ballot vote was never made public. Uh, that concerned me. At a certain point, the president was called out of the meeting. Teller's committee was called out as if there was some kind of emergency. The vote was never made public that I know of. Uh, no one stood with me. Now, yes, Cameron and Allen were there, but no pastor, no one stood with me. I felt like Paul. When Paul said, I stood alone and everyone forsook me. May God not hold that to their account. The next day, the vote was still not made public, as far as I know. And a person stood up and sought to turn the motion into a resolution. A resolution is about like when you make a New Year's resolution. How long do you keep a diet when you make a New Year's resolution? A resolution is not the weight and the power of a motion coming out of a convention floor. It was turned into a resolution. Sheila tried to call Thursday afternoon the convention to ask for a copy of the resolution. She was told that they would fax it. They faxed it Friday. The resolution had yet not been put together. So it has raised an awareness in our convention that we have a problem. And if we're going to evangelize 40% of this state's population, we need to come to terms with the reality of the heart. And we need to address that. And we need to see that God changes it. So that's it. And uh, I thank you for listening to me.